Welcome to the Essentially M Show. This is your host, Emily Ann Brandt. I am not a self-made millionaire yet, (laughs) an expert in anything, or an overnight success. I'm just a regular girl passionate about real, meaningful, and inspiring conversations around mindset, positivity, and fearlessly chasing your dreams without apology or self-doubt. If you're into this type of conversation too, then you're in the right place, my friend. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two of the Essentially M Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm not going to lie, I am terrified to record this week's episode and have been putting it off until the very last minute. It's Tuesday evening at 8 p.m., I have to be in bed in about an hour, and I have to have this podcast live by tomorrow. Um, the reason I've been putting it off is because, honestly, it's terrifying. It's vulnerable. It's scary. It's stirring up a lot of emotions that I don't really want to necessarily dive into. But I feel like I am healed enough from some of the things in my past and some of the things I've been through that I can talk about it in a healthy way and if it's going to help somebody else then I am game. I am not going to lie you guys I am on a healing journey too just like many of you might be so writing out the content for tonight's episode I always write everything into point form so I don't forget what I want to say when I go to record but writing out my story and things that have been through It stirred up a lot of emotion in me, and I am relying heavily on peanut butter (laughs) M&Ms and my essential oils for comfort tonight. So just bear with me. This is just me being really real and vulnerable with you guys. And the reason why I'm doing this and doing this so early on in the podcast is because I want to make myself a credible source. So I want to let you know that when I tell you if I can do it, you can do it, you freaking believe me because I'm about to tell you some of the things I've been through and they've only made me stronger. But I have been through some crappy stuff and you might be going through crappy stuff or bad times or not loving yourself fully or not loving your body or whatever it is. And so my goal is to show you that it does get better, but it starts with you. So owning your story and standing in your truth is the single most courageous thing that a person could do. Just ask Brene Brown. (laughs) So in the spirit of being brave, let's dive into my story. I was born with something called clubbed feet. If you don't know what clubbed feet is, it basically causes your feet to be turned either inwards or outwards. Mine were turned so far outwards that they were basically upside down, like pinned up against my legs. So the doctors were pretty sure that I would never walk or they weren't sure if I'd ever walk. Um, I had to have several surgeries as a baby and a toddler to try to bring them back down. And so basically... As a baby and a toddler and a child, I almost always had a cast on both legs or braces or I was in a wheelchair. So growing up and being in school while having all of that going on, it obviously made me very different from the other kids 
Um, and the feet never did get fully flattened with the surgeries. Um, the right foot is pretty good. It's pretty flat. But the left foot, I still walk on the edge of my foot. And that's after going through another surgery in high school and another surgery in college. The reason I think the surgeries kept failing is because I was also born with something called Beals syndrome. This is characterized, sorry, so Beals syndrome is a connective tissue disorder. It has to do with a mutation of the gene that's in charge of producing connective tissue. And the characteristics of Beals syndrome are underdeveloped muscle mass, underdeveloped bone mass, um, contracted and bent joints, very tight tendons and ligaments, um, long limbs, long fingers, long toes, really long arms and legs. So just very long and lean body type, but it's also very bent and contracted and in some cases deformed. Um, my fingers and toes aren't super deformed. My toes are a little bit. Mostly they're just bent and contracted, so they, they don't straighten all the way. I can't straighten my fingers, can't straighten my toes. And so I think the toes tendency to be tight and curl under did not help with the clubbed foot situation. So anyway, having Beals syndrome basically causes you to look very, very skinny and bent and just, I felt very awkward in my own body. And I hesitate to say that because I don't want anyone who might have Beals syndrome to be listening to this and go, yep, my body's awkward, that's right. That was how I used to feel. I don't feel that way anymore. But there was a lot of negative experiences growing up, being in school, um, being around other kids who don't have a filter and just say what they think. It caused me to lose a lot of confidence about myself and my body. So before I ever went to school, you know, I had no clue that I looked any different or that I should be insecure for any reason at all. I mean, my family was amazing. The friends we were surrounded by, I was totally confident and just loving every minute of life. And then I went to school and that's where you kind of join the real world and kids can be cruel. And you also, even at such a young age, you compare yourself to others and you look at the other kids and you realize, oh, why am I not like the other kids so I remember one time it was maybe as young as like grade two or three and we had to do this project for the front of our class for the outside of our classroom where we would all put our handprints or put our hands in paint and then make a handprint on this big sign for the outside of the class and handprints are difficult for me because my fingers don't straighten all the way and my hands are kind of bent I can't get my hand flat enough to dip it in the paint and fully cover it. So I only got paint like on the tips of my fingers and then the side of my hand. <sighs> but we had to do the handprint. So mine came out like a really weird like alien blob. <laughs> and I was so embarrassed of it. And But whatever, we had to do it. And then I caught some kids pointing it out later in the hallway and snickering at it and whispering and this crushed me and it's like the silliest thing you might not have ever taken for granted being able to make a normal handprint with your hand 
But it was little things like that that just gutted me. Like, why do I have to be so different? Why does the easiest things have to be so hard? Why me? Why do I have to have this difficult life? And I think if it were just my hands and my feet that were kind of different, not kind of different, very different, I might have been okay because you can more or less hide your feet and your hands for the most part. It's not every day that you have to make handprints or footprints. Um, but it was my whole body that was different. I was more often than not in a cast or a brace. Um, and then because of the Beale syndrome, it makes your body really, really skinny. So like stick skinny legs and arms and plus they're really long. And this led to a lot of judgment and being called things like skeleton, toothpick, um, anorexic, bulimic, a lot of judgment from people assuming that I'm malnourished or my mom doesn't feed me or I think I'm fat so therefore I must not be eating. So being accused of having eating disorders that you do not have, which are serious mental illnesses and not something that people should use to make fun of somebody for anyways, but anyone who knows me knows how much I love food. So I usually made a joke of it. If somebody were talking about me and saying, oh, she must have it. She obviously doesn't eat. She must be anorexic. She's obviously bulimic. Oh my God, skinny bitch, skinny this, skinny that. I would usually joke it off with people, you know, making a joke about how much I do eat and how they're just jealous and they wish they could eat how much I eat and not gain weight. But really, it's been a frustrating source for me that I really can eat and eat and eat and not put on very much mass at all. And that's just the nature of having Beale syndrome. And as I've come into adulthood, I have been able to put on a little bit of mass through a lot of hard work at the gym and a lot of calories per day. But it's still like nowhere near what a normal person would be able to put on if they were doing what I was doing. But I'm also just coming to acceptance with who I am, how my body is made, like this is how God made me and he doesn't make mistakes. So if he thinks that I was beautiful and made in his image and his imagination, then this is how I'm supposed to look and I am comfortable with it now. Finally starting to let myself, you know, not always, but I, I'm testing the waters and getting braver with letting my legs show, letting my arms show, even like showing my arms used to be a huge deal. I would wear sweaters no matter how hot it was outside. Full, like, full-length jeans. And people would always be like, you're crazy, aren't you sweating to death? And they'd be like, oh, no. Yes, I was. But it was better than wearing shorts and getting pointed at and getting laughed at or getting people literally stopping. I've had this happen. Stopping to bend down and drop their jaw and gasp at how skinny my legs are. So you just... You get sick of that pretty quickly and you get afraid of that and you learn to hide. So that's what I did. I learned to hide and it's exhausting trying to hide who you're actually meant to be and how God made you. But that's what I did. I wore baggy clothing. I wore pants always, usually a baggy sweater. And if all of this wasn't enough, the clubbed feet, the braces on the feet, the surgeries, the beals, you know, being skinny, being bent and contracted. I also developed really aggressive scoliosis, which is a curvature of the spine. And this started developing 
um, maybe when I was like seven and then into my preteen years and it was really, really rapidly curving the spine, which is super painful because imagine your spine, your bone, the center of your entire body curving on its own and your muscles are doing everything they can to stop it from doing so. So my muscles were so tight constantly in my back, but it kind of just became an everyday pain for me that I didn't really know what it felt like to not be in pain in the back until after I had a surgery. A little bit ahead of myself. So before, actually kind of during when the scoliosis was starting, I also had to have a full brace on my back, like body cast basically that I had to wear under my clothes. I don't think anybody actually ever knew that I had it on because I could fit it under my clothes. Um, But it was super uncomfortable and it was supposed to slow down the curvature of the spine, which it did not because the scoliosis was so aggressive. But anyway, before all of this, I forgot to tell you the E.T. the alien story, which is not a fun story to tell or relive, but it's part of my journey. So I think it was like grade seven or eight when MSN was really popular, which was basically like the Facebook messenger or the texting of, of back then. So you would go on MSN, you would log in after school, talk to all your friends, um, update your status. There's a status in there. Say what song you're listening to. And people would chat to each other and, you know, say things that they weren't comfortable saying to each other's faces. (laughs) And so anyway, one night I'm on there and my friend messages me, friend, and she's like, E.T. phone home, ha 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 ha, lol, so funny, and like crying face, laughing face, ha ha, and I'm like, what? I think I just typed back like question mark, question mark, like what is this girl talking about? And then she goes, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I did not mean to send that to you, whoops, so and so made it up and said to pass it on, and that's when I realized he made it up about me because I look like E.T. the alien, because I have bent fingers like E.T. does, and they're skinny and scrawny like his. And so that was my first cyber, actually, that was my only cyberbullying experience before cyberbullying was even a thing. But I was so hurt by it and so embarrassed, and I've never actually told anybody about it. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell my sisters. I didn't tell my closest friends, I don't think. And that's kind of what I developed a habit of doing. I hid things. I buried them inside. I never wanted to upset my parents, especially my mom, because I know how much it hurt her to see me hurting. And she'd probably go and find the kid and scream at him, and that would just make the whole situation worse for me. Uh, My sister would have freaked out and wanted to beat them up, you know, so it was just easier. And I also still wanted to be that brave person that everybody thought I was and said I was, a strong girl. And so I did what I always do or did and would wait till nighttime to come and go. And soon as my head hits the pillow, I cry myself to sleep. So many nights I cried myself to sleep. And now as I'm in my late 20s, I'm finally learning that that is really unhealthy and you cannot heal from trauma and wounds and feeling sad completely by yourself. You have to at least reflect on it, talk about it with someone you trust. You don't have to do a podcast like this telling everyone about it, but at least 
you know, you need to heal for yourself. Talk with someone you trust or get a therapist or maybe do some writing so you can heal and move on and not have those traumas keep affecting you. Anyway, let's get back to the scoliosis journey. So as I got closer to like age 13, 14, the doctors said to my parents, which I did not hear, I guess they must have taken them out of the room or something, and they said, okay, listen, Emily is probably done growing now. We need to operate on her spine ASAP, lest her spine crush her lungs. So my parents were, of course, especially my mom, very resistant to the idea of me even having this surgery because as you can imagine, that is your spine that they need to operate on. These are high-risk surgeries. Like the spine is the center of your whole entire body and they need to go in and manipulate it and make several incisions through your basically entire upper body and go in and manipulate the spine and put titanium rods and all this equipment in to keep it in place and then sew you back up and hopefully all your nerves and blood won't spill out and (laughs) without getting into too much detail basically it's just really really high risk surgery but as the doctors explained to my parents it was necessary lest my lungs get crushed so they reluctantly agreed and were obviously very stressed and nervous but me on the other hand as a naive vain little 14 year old I was excited for the surgery. So dumb. (laughs) So, so dumb. Bless my heart. All I was thinking about as a 14-year-old girl was, yes, my spine is going to get straight. I can finally wear normal clothes. I can wear tight-fitted shirts. I don't have to hide under baggy sweaters. I can go to dance class and have my, you know, my fitted um, outfit on. And everything's going to be awesome now. And that's all I cared about. And all my other surgeries had been manageable you know there's foot surgeries there's still surgery but I thought I'm a champion of surgery I can do this this is like awesome I'm gonna wake up and my spine's gonna be straight and it's gonna be wonderful that bless my stupid little heart surgery day came along and the surgery was 10 hours long um I did lose a lot of blood they did a blood transfusion and anyways I did make it through obviously And I woke up to my mom saying, yay, good news. It was a success. Everything went well. Best case scenario. You know, our prayers were answered. Yay. And I was just in so much pain. I was so mad. Like, why would they wake? Why would they think it's a good idea to take me off the drugs that kept me asleep and oblivious to all of this? Because it was so much pain. It felt like I had been shot everywhere on my upper body, like everywhere. It hurt to breathe, it hurt to open my eyes, it hurt to turn, it hurt to move, hurt to talk. And so I was just so mad that they would wake me up. And to be honest, I just wanted to be put back out by the anesthetic or by death, if I'm being honest. Like that's how much it hurt. I just wanted to not be there, not be awake and not be in that body. So I was really miserable with my mom, especially. And I think I wiped the smile right off her face. Like, you know, she was so happy that it went well. And I was like, so? (laughs) This hurts so much. Why did you agree to let me have this done? This is awful. 
And so obviously they put you on a ton of painkillers, morphine, I've had Oxycontin, like everything. And those make you super nauseous and loopy and ugh, you feel so sick and disgusting and out of it. And so you can take this next part as, you know, however you like, given that I was so loopy and on so many drugs. But when I did sleep, one night I had a dream about my grandmother. And my grandmother had passed away when I was seven, so now I'm 14. And I'd always had dreams about my grandma since she passed away where because we were close and in my dreams we would meet up usually on a park bench and we would hang out and talk and it was so nice and so awesome to see her and she was always pleasant and fun and then I would wake up and cry and tell my mom you know I miss grandma I had a dream about her and she'd say oh well it's okay because at least you got to see her right go oh right that's true so dreams about grandma were always a good thing but this one in the hospital was not good this was like I described it as a nightmare, but I think it might have been a lot more than that. So what happened was I woke up and I was in tears and I told my mom, 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 I just had a really bad dream about grandma, which is her mom. And I said, I saw grandma and pa was there too. And I was running towards her. And for whatever reason, I saw myself running towards her as like my seven year old self that I was when she passed. And I had pigtails in my hair, a little purple t-shirt, and I'm running towards her. And it felt so exciting and warm and inviting to go and be, run up to her and Pa, um, her husband who had passed when I was just a baby. And I was so happy to be there. And my grandma yelled at me. She said, Emily, get away. You cannot be here. I do not want you here. Go back. You need to go back to your mom. And I was like, what? Why don't you want me here? Like, we always we always hang out. And she was like, get back. And she could be scary when she was, like, being stern and firm. She was scary. Um, which she never was like that with me because I was a saint. <laughs> I never really got in trouble with her. So it was really heartbreaking to have her, like, yelling at me and rejecting me. So this crushed my 14-year-old heart. And so I just woke up from that and I woke up in tears and I told my mom and my mom was like, oh, oh, that's okay, honey. Just, just a bad dream. Don't worry. And then she walked away and I think she went and found my dad and she's like, oh my gosh, I think Emily just about died and mom sent her back. And now I realize, yeah, I think that's totally what happened. And the creepy thing is I didn't even remember this whole situation because, I don't know, I was on so many drugs and so loopy. I'd actually forgotten all about this dream, you know, if that's what we want to call it, until years later when my sister asked, you know, can I tell you something crazy? (laughs) I'm like, always, yes. And so she told me what mom told her about thinking that I had almost died and I had this dream where grandma sent me sent me away and how she took it um, to mean that like I almost crossed over and grandma sent me back. And as soon as my sister told me, it all came rushing back to me like in a flash. And I was like, holy crap, I do remember that. And then I was really freaked out. Like, how do you forget something like that? And so this was maybe when I was like 20 or 19. And so, yeah, I was really freaked out that I forgot about this. But I do think now it makes sense that your memory can kind of get mixed up when you're not sure if something happened here in the in the planet Earth or if it happened in the spirit world. 
and plus, you know, all the painkillers and all the drugs. But, so when I was around age 19, 20, whenever my sister reminded me of this, I realized I think I really was given a second chance of life. I think it all could have ended when I was 14. And so I'm just now finally, I'm 27, I'm just now finally realizing the importance of the gift of life and the fact that I am still here and I need to do something great with that. And I need to help and inspire other people. And I was sent back for a reason and I was kept here for a reason. And I've been through all the stuff that I've been through for a reason. I used to cry and pray and ask God every night, why? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you giving me such a hard life? Why does my body have to be so different? Why can't I just be normal? Let me trade bodies with anybody, anybody. And now, but I always heard a whisper. I always heard a whisper, like intuitively, as soon as I asked, I heard, because you're going to use it to help and inspire others someday. I always intuitively heard that. But now I'm finally actually listening to that whisper and I'm ready to to own it and get over myself and let go of my ego and actually use my story to help and inspire other people. And so that's, I guess... <laughs> What, I, what I'm doing with this podcast and what I'm hoping to do with motivational speaking and with my writing. So, so yeah, that's, that's my story in a nutshell. Uh, Rachel Hollis once said that people love and crave to see themselves on the stage. And when I say on the stage, I don't just mean like literally up on a stage, being famous or doing something amazing. Or being a celebrity, but like see themselves represented, somebody who looks like them, somebody who represents their race, their physical differences, their gender, their country, to see somebody who they connect to, who reminds them of themselves being put on the stage and and stepping into their power and doing great things. And so and I heard her say that it really hit me that yes. That is so true, and I have always been looking for somebody to be on the stage who looks like me or who has been through what I've been through or something even similar and knows the exact struggle that I've had but is freaking rocking their life anyway and showing me that I can do it too. It has to be me because somewhere out there there's a little girl with Beale syndrome And she's looking for people to look up to. She's looking for someone who looks like her to do something great, to be on a stage, to be proud of how they look and just own it so she can too. So when I step into my power and I own my truth and I own my body, it gives them permission to do the same. And this part gets me really emotional because like I said, I was always searching for that person to look up to. Every time I saw a skinny person, I checked them out really closely to see if they maybe had Beale syndrome and they never did. I've never met anybody other than my family members who have it and they have it a lot more mildly than I do. So if not me, then who? It has to be me. This is my why. This is my motivation. And so maybe you don't have Beale syndrome or scoliosis or clubbed feet, but almost all of us have insecurities about ourselves or our bodies or our past. And I just want to help you know that 
you're beautiful, you're perfect as you are, you're so worthy of anything you desire, especially love, especially happiness, and (laughs) it gets better if you get better, it's all an inside job, you have to work on yourself, it's all mental, you know, there's no big miraculous body changes that I've gone through, I still have the bent fingers, the bent toes, but I love myself from the inside out and I work on it every day and every day it is work, but it is so worth it to freaking step into who you are, stop hiding because hiding's exhausting and it's so much more powerful to just step into who you are and I hope you get to experience the empowerment that comes with that. I hope this podcast encouraged you to do so and I hope you can also learn from me Maybe I'll make a whole other episode on this, but for me, how I put a guard up and I didn't let anyone in and I didn't want to be vulnerable or share how I was hurting, don't do that, you guys. Please don't do that because that has caused just built up trauma and things that have caused me to be triggered, you know, um, at certain things. And that's my mind going, hey, hey, there's trauma here you've never dealt with. And so things and situations come up and they trigger me and I'm right back in that place of being the little girl, you know, feeling left out or feeling made fun of. And that is not something you want to carry around with you. So I'm working constantly on my healing journey, on myself, on loving myself. And I just want you to do the same. So (laughs) thank you for listening. I hope this does inspire you to do the same and realize how freaking worthy and awesome you are. And if I can learn to embrace my story and my differences, then I know you can too. I love you guys. Thanks for listening and bearing with me through this kind of heavy emotional episode. And we'll see you again next Wednesday. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved today's episode, please leave me a review on iTunes or screenshot this episode and share it on your social media and tag me at essentially M, essentially E-M-M to let me know your thoughts or send it to a friend who needs to hear this message today and keep the love going. Connect with me on Instagram if we aren't friends on there yet at essentially M. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you on the next episode.